You are listening to the Gateway Church in Spring Lake, Michigan. To learn more, visit us at thegatewaygh.com. Thank you, worship team. Good morning, everyone. For those of you who are visiting, I am not Pastor Ben with a bad bee sting. My name is Rocky Nichols, and I would have to say I am a pastor in training. In the past few weeks, my wife Pam and I have been gone visiting another church, speaking as an evangelist, and I'd like to share a comment that I heard years ago, and I shared with them as well. The first week I was there, the message was not such a hard-hitting message. The second week was. So I shared with them what I had heard years ago in another church from a visiting evangelist who said, there's bad things about being an evangelist and there's some good things. The bad thing is, I show up, I preach, and I leave. I never get to see the results of my message. The good thing is, I show up, I preach, and I leave. <laughs> never have to see the results of my message. Doesn't work here. So hopefully this goes over well. How many of you witnessed the house move Tuesday in Spring Lake? Anybody? Okay, a few more than the this earlier, took about 45 minutes to an hour for this house to be uprooted, moved down the street at just a few inches per minute at times, and I stood there the whole time with my hand, hand raised with this cell phone because I wanted to get it all on video. I switched it a few times, but I got to thinking, wow, hold my hand up here for 45 minutes. I'm just glad I've been in the Assemblies of God for 25 years, if you know what I mean. Last night, a contrast. Instead of this snail's pace house, we went to Berlin Raceway and watched these cars. And my wife calculated it out that some of those little roadsters were going at about 110 miles an hour. It was amazing. So a contrast of this real slow pace and the real fast pace. Our message today also is going to be a contrast as we continue this study of the Beatitudes Twenty-two years ago, this weekend, in fact, it was Friday night, 22 years ago marks the, or that marks the 22nd anniversary of what I'm going to say carefully here. We, we celebrate as a joy-filled tragedy. How can that be? How can joy come from tragedy? It's a conflict of terms, just as we're going to find out as we go through what Jesus talked about in Matthew 5. A joy-filled tragedy. Now, believers can begin to understand this. Unbelievers, perhaps not. It was a Friday night. Our church was in the middle of a revival, period of revival, and we had a Friday night service. Typically, I would come down during the song service and stand down the front because God was doing a work in my life. About 15 to 20 minutes into that worship service, I had a tap on my shoulder, and the head usher said, follow me quickly. That's not something you hear very often. So I did, followed him into a back room, and there was somebody standing with a telephone, a landline telephone, not a cell phone, and they said, it's your cousin. Oh, boy. 
So I listened, and my cousin said, your mom and dad had just got into a really bad accident. Your mom is in bad shape. Your dad's all banged up. You need to get to the hospital right away. So we did. Got in the car. We had it down there. Just in time for me to go into the back areas and see my mom on this gurney being pushed away. And I said, stop. I got to talk to her. And they said, we can't stop. I said, you have to stop. So I walked up to her. And there she was with her eyes all glassy and glazed, just staring up at the ceiling. I think some of you may have experienced this with loved ones or yourself. You just know it's not going to turn out good. And I prayed with my mom right there, and I said, Mom, I love you. And they said, we got to go. And they pushed her away. And as I see her disappear into the operating room, I just stood there with my hands raised, praying that God would save her life, bring her back to us. He did not. About 2 to 3 o'clock in the morning, the doctor finally came into the waiting room and said, her heart finally stopped. She was gone. For years, I said, I mourned the loss of my mom that night. And for days, I mourned her loss. Today, I would change that. I did not mourn the loss of my mom. I grieved I grieved heavily, but hopefully what you're going to see in this message is that I didn't have to mourn for her because we knew that mom was saved, she had made a decision for the Lord, her life had changed, and she would now be in heaven. No sense in mourning because I would see her again. Could you please stand with me and repeat this simple prayer? <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, fill this room with your Holy Spirit. Speak to my heart today. Change my life forever. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I have some rhetorical questions for you. That means you don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to answer. You just think about the answer. When is the last time you cried? Probably not too long ago, if you're a younger person. How about when is the last time you wept? Crying is more superficial. I stubbed my toe. I'm not getting my way. Wow. Weeping has a bit more sorrow and loss attached to it. When is the last time you grieved recently? Breathing, a real sorrow, deep sorrow attached to bereavement or true loss. When is the last time you mourned? Or have you ever mourned? I'm going to say I never have. I don't believe I've ever mourned. Cried, wept, grieved. I don't believe I have ever mourned. You may not have mourned because you may not have been ready or prepared or equipped or called or appointed or anointed for this task. Because I want to suggest to you that mourning, as Jesus is suggesting to us in a moment, is a supernatural event that we can only do if God calls us to that task. 
it's very little different from being saved. We can't save ourselves. We can't come to God. It's the Holy Spirit that draws us. It's the Holy Spirit that speaks to our heart. It's the Holy Spirit that changes our life and sanctifies us into who he wants us to truly be. So keep that in mind. If you would please turn to Matthew 5. Pastor Ben has already started this nine-week series last week, and he covered the first beatitude. But just to give you a little groundwork here, Jesus has now been baptized by John the Baptist. He's gone off into the wilderness, fasted for 40 days, been tempted by the devil, successfully passed that test, was ministered to by angels. He has now come through this place called Galilee, and he has ministered in the synagogues and the towns. And he is now moving away from the crowds up a hill, a mount. He's going to speak to his disciples. Now, we have a marvelous opportunity in West Michigan here to visualize this in a general sense. Jerusalem was a long ways away. Picture Grand Rapids as Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the holy city, the place of religion where all the religious people went to for their ceremonies and their religious feasts. Just as Grand Rapids is known as the church city or Bible city, it has all of its <clears throat> churches and cathedrals. These are people now in Jerusalem who follow the Ten Commandments and the other 600 we don't hear about. They do everything right. They're in church or in the synagogue at the right time. They dress properly. They do everything right. Now, we are here in this town of Spring Lake or Grand Haven area on the shores of a big lake. Jesus had come to a town called Capernaum on the shores of a big lake, the Sea of Galilee, a freshwater lake. Jordan River flowed in, made this lake, flowed out into the Dead Sea. He's on this shores of this little fishing town, sort of like we are, and he ascends up a mount, not a mountain, not a hill, a mount, just like the sand dunes we see on the shores of Lake Michigan. And in a smaller sense, picture Dewey Hill, where the musical fountain happens. On a small scale, Jesus probably ascended a hill like that with a nice, easygoing trail that went up and got away from the crowds. Now he's up here with his disciples at his feet, and the multitudes are still trying to follow him and listen in, which is okay. He wants them to. And he reads these words. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And immediately, he drops a grenade at the feet of the religious people. Because they're saying to themselves, stop. No, no, no. The kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are following the commandments, who are doing the ceremonies, have all the religious ducks in a row. We go to the synagogue. Look at us. We are dressed appropriately. 
ours is the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are not relying on all of that formality and religion. Those who wake up in the morning and say, God, I can't do this. I need you. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Then he goes on to this next verse, which is not so hard-hitting, but still a conflict. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Happy are the sad. What is that supposed to mean? Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. It's a conflict again. Then blessed are the meek. They will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful. They will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs, again, is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted. How can that be a blessing? Blessed are you. When people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Rejoice and be glad when you are persecuted. That verse ties in so close with blessed are those who mourn. Because the blessed is, blessing is not just being comforted. It's the verification of God's hand on your life. I think we all understand what it's like to mourn. But that word comforted seems to be elusive. How can that be such a blessing? And what does it really mean to be comforted? When I was about 13 years old, I think it was the year it was about 1971, my dad had the idea that he and I were going to go backpacking. And backpacking was just starting out then. Now it's pretty well developed, but back then, they were experimenting with things. The dad went and bought all the equipment, this lightweight backpack for all, and all your stuff, this uh, little teeny tiny pup tent that weighed three pounds, sleeping bags, this freeze-dried food, which was dreadfully awful. And we drove up to Canada. We crossed the International Bridge at Sault Ste. Marie. We drove north on Highway 17 along the beautiful lake shore of uh, Lake Superior, and we ended up at a place called the Sand River, where this clear stream dumps into the clear water of Lake Superior. Beautiful spot. We pulled off in an unseen two-track. As you stopped, you could see it. You pulled in, and it seems like you just disappeared into nowhere. <clears throat> got out of the truck, put all of our backpacks, uh, loaded them, got everything ready, and we started to walk for most of that day till we stopped at a beaver pond. Big pond. is almost a small lake, and we camped there for the night and had some marvelous experiences. Ate a lot of brook trout and didn't even have to eat most of the awful food. But it's amazing how good that actually tastes when you're really hungry. The next day, we loaded ourselves up again, and we headed farther north. And we ended up at a place called Lady Evelyn Falls. Dad had said 
he thought we were about 10 to 15 miles back. And I thought, man, I can't even imagine walking that far, but it was a long ways. And we only navigated by an aerial survey map that he had got from the government printing office. Don't even know it was accurate. But it's the only thing that really said on there was Lady Evelyn Falls, so we knew we were at some place that somebody had been before. But I Googled that recently, and it actually is well more than 10 miles back. Straight line. If you go with the zigzags of the trails, even farther. And today, even, there's nobody within 5 to 10 miles around that. Nobody inhabits that area. We were in the... the wilds of Africa, or yeah, wilds of Africa. And then we came back to Canada. But we had no cell phones. We had no walkie-talkies. Dad never even told Mom where we were going. So if you can imagine anything would have happened, we would have just been Jimmy Hoffa all over again. But we found this place by this falls, a little dirt, a little sandy area. We pitched the tent. We were going to camp overnight there. Now, if you've ever been to the wilds, the true wilds of Canada, the sky is white with stars, and the night is alive with sounds. We got into this little pup tent. It's like slipping yourself into a nylon or a sock. It's not too easy to do. Settled in, tried to fall asleep. Then this carcophony of insects just seemed to be silenced by this loud, low, gut-wrenching, mourning sound. Far off in the distance, I heard a howl, a deep howl. I'd never heard anything like that before. It just ripped my heart out. And then another one responded from the opposite direction. And it seemed like the sound just passed right through me. And then another one, and another one. And I said, Dad, what is that? And Dad calmly said, it's a timber wolf. And we realized we had been watched this whole time. Now, when you're a kid that young and you hear that you're surrounded by timber wolves, it's not a good picture. And I'm immediately thinking, well, the trip might end here. I might lose my life. The sense of loss starts coming. I might lose my dad, and I might be stuck here. How do, how do I get back? Or we both, both might be lost, never get back to home, never heard about again. It was scary. And then I just said, Dad, I want to go home. And Dad calmly and firmly said, okay, Rock, tomorrow morning we will head back. And I was comforted by his words. I was comforted. It didn't take the fear away. I was still scared. I could still work these things out, these tragedies in my mind. But I was given strength and hope that things would turn out good. Now, I don't want to put my dad on a pedestal because I've seen people who have been lifted up and they become targets and they fall. But dad in that moment was the picture of God the Father to me in my life. And if I may speak just a moment 
to all of you who are fathers. You are the picture of God to your children. Try hard not to mess that up. Because our kids look to us to model godly behavior. In that moment, my dad did. And I was comforted. Now, the next morning, we woke up, and Dad got out. He's always the early riser, and I'm just this snoozer. And he says, hey, Rock, you got to see this. So I peel myself out of this sleeping bag and out of the tent. And he says, look at that. I walked over, and there was the biggest paw print, a dog footprint this big, monstrous, a wolf. These wolves were that far away from where we laid that night, and we didn't even know it. Pretty amazing. I'll never forget that, and I'll never forget the sounds of those howls and the moment that I was comforted by my dad's words. The dictionary describes four different types of sorrow. Crying, like I already expressed, is just a, you really are dissatisfied and you don't get your way maybe even rage, weeping, starts to express true sorrow or grief or loss at a shallow level. And then grief. Grief is this deeper sense of loss. And then the word mourn, to feel or express grief or sorrow. And the word feel there implies that it's a received event. It's not something you do. It's something you receive. The word comfort is to give strength and hope to ease grief. And that's what Jesus says our reward is, is comfort. It still doesn't sound like much of a reward for deep, heavy grief. The New Testament was written in the Greek language. The Hellenistic people had come through and instilled their way of life and their language. Now the Romans were in there, but they still talked in Greek. Jesus spoke Aramaic, a blend of Hebrew and one of the local language, perhaps Syrian. But he certainly understood and maybe did speak Greek as well. But the book, the author, Matthew, wrote in Greek. And there are four terms for sorrow in the Greek language. The word throneo is the idea of mere crying. The word lupomai is a general word used for weeping or sadness. Kapto is similar, but having a more visible manifestation of grief, a deeper sorrow. And then the word pentheo, a deep sense of inner grief that consumes a person. Serious sorrow. In the commentary I read, it says the Greek word Jesus used for mourn in Matthew 5, 4 is pentheo. It has the idea of strong grief manifested externally, or put another way, a grief which so takes possession of the whole being that it cannot be hid. Jesus used the strongest word from among four choices to point of this grief or mourning is to bring our attention to the personal sin in our life the sin that leads others to destruction. 
or the unredeemed, the unsaved, lost people headed for darkness. Paul writes in Corinthians, the second book, uh, Corinthians 7, verse 10, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. Jesus talks about this parable of the vine and the gardener. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Apart from me, he says, you can do nothing. In Zechariah 4, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Romans 8, verse 6. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. There are scripture after scripture telling us that we can do nothing apart from God. It is his spirit who draws us to him. It is a spirit that changes our life. It is his spirit that empowers us to work for him and to be like him. Philippians 2.13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work his good pleasure. There are a few examples in scripture that I'd like to share with you of potential mourning versus just sorrow or grief. <clears throat> David, the king of Israel, had a moral failure with a woman named Bathsheba. Most of us know the story. I won't get into the details. But Bathsheba is now with child, and she has this baby. But the baby is sick unto death. David prays that the child will not die, but the child dies. He is sorrowful. He grieves for the child for a short time, and then he's over it. Three chapters later, we read the story of Absalom. Absalom is one of David's sons. He's a rebellious son. He does not love his father. He does not love God. He wants to take over the throne of David. But David loves him nonetheless. Absalom dies in a rather gruesome battle way of death. When David hears of the death of his beloved son, he grieves for days. And I would say he mourned for the loss of this son. And he's asked, why did you cry and grieve for such a short time for the baby, but for your son who did not love you, you grieve on and on. The commentary says this. David's dead seven-day-old baby was immediately taken into paradise, or Abraham's bosom is what was called in the Old Testament. Heaven, we call it today. 
Since the baby was not of the age of accountability, not being able to discern right from wrong, God took this baby right into heaven, let's say. Absalom, his adult son, most likely rejected God and his father David. When Absalom died as an unrepentant adult, he went not to paradise, but to the flames of hell forever. David therefore knew the loss of his son Absalom was forever. The loss of the baby was only for a time, and when he gets to heaven, they will be reunited. But he mourned the loss of his son who would be forever in destruction. In Psalm 51, David prays this prayer. This prayer is in repentance for the moral failure he had with Bathsheba. And he says this, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. According unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. And he goes on further. There's a more recent example of a similar moral failure. In the 1980s, television evangelism became popular. It became a great media for bringing the Word of God across the world. There were two well-known evangelists at the time, both Assembly of God pastors. One was more of an evangelist. He was an old-time gospel preacher. He took his messages in many countries around the world, spoke to millions of people, had tens of thousands of people respond to the gospel. He had a television show that was on every Sunday morning. I watched it as much as I could. And I really grew spiritually because this man delivered the word of God plain and simple. But like I said before, I've learned not to put people on pedestals because they become targets of the enemy. And especially someone whose ministry is so successful, you've got to know the devil is aiming right at them. And he hit the target because this man had a moral failure with prostitution. It became known someone found out about it, spoke to the Assemblies of God district leadership, he was contacted, and he confessed the whole thing. And as the assembly of God does, they require you to go through repentance and, and uh, disciplinary action. So in February of 1988, Jimmy Swaggart complied with that request. He went on to his weekly show, and he confessed the sin that he had committed to his wife and asked for forgiveness publicly, to his family, to his church membership, to the district, to his leaders, to the world. And I remember the words that he spoke that David also spoke, and I can picture it as I watched it on the TV, 
Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. And at that moment, his tears just flowed. And I believe in my heart that at that moment, Jimmy Swaggart truly mourned the loss. The loss of his ministry, the loss of the relationship and the trust of his family and his friends, the loss of those potential salvations that could have continued to come that will no longer come, and the loss of trust of people and evangelists, even mourning the moral permission now for people to go and do the same because such a high-ranking religious figure has done it. In that moment, I believe he truly mourned. Whether it continued, I can't say, because Jimmy did not follow the leadership's directives, and they released his credentials. He then stepped down and went into a non-denominational Pentecostal denomination. Jesus mourned. If you can picture that city of Grand Rapids, that religious town, as being Jerusalem, the holy city. And Jesus came to the city and he looked over it with all its religiousness, its ceremonial cleanliness, people following all the rules and doing everything just the right way, but yet not seeing him. Here, God was before them, and they missed it. He said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather my children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. When he said, look, your house is left to you desolate, he was probably foreseeing the destruction of that entire city and the religious system that all those people had depended on. And he was seeing the loss of those souls who did not see him standing in their midst, teaching and preaching, showing how it really needed to be done. He, the God of creation, who came down from heaven to be one of us on earth, who created that entire city, who even created the hill that he would soon be crucified on, to see all those people that he created and he loved so much reject him and go into an eternal damnation. There couldn't be a more heavier or genuine mourning than what Jesus experienced right there. So if we break apart this verse, blessed are those who mourn, only those who mourn are blessed. Not everyone is blessed. It's a selective event. Only those who mourn will be blessed. Not those who cry, not those who weep, not those who grieve, 
because everyone does that. Everyone in the world has cried, weeped, and probably grieved. And if they were blessed, as Jesus is talking about, then this verse is pointless. Those who truly mourn are blessed by being comforted. Not much of a blessing. And being comforted is not being comfortable. Being comfortable is to kick back in your chair, not have to work all day, take it easy. Being comforted is to be given strength and hope. But the true blessing of that comfort is this, that we will know that we are being called, appointed, anointed, or used by God for interceding for the lost, for destroying and being appalled at the sin in our own life, for storming the gates of hell. This is a true reward. It is a great reward. To know that the God of creation has appointed and called you for such a time and he approves your response. So maybe it's a calling or a ministry or an anointing. Maybe it's a divine appointment or a once-in-a-lifetime experience. But whatever it may be, I ask you, have you ever truly mourned? Are you willing to be used by God in this manner? And more important, will you accept only his comfort and confirmation as the reward and the blessing? If so, then you are truly blessed. Let me ask you these questions. Are you uncomfortable with sin? First of all, are you uncomfortable with the sin in your life? Certainly, if we steal something, we blatantly hurt somebody, we do something that is obviously wrong, we're uncomfortable with that. But what about when you cut somebody off on the highway and you think, well, they shouldn't have been going so slow? What about if you're texting on your phone while you're driving and you think, well, I don't have time to stop. I got to do this. It's against the law, but, or it's dangerous, but it's, I got to do this. What about that television show? that you're watching with some inappropriate content and you just kind of brush it off and say, yeah, that won't affect me. But yet you watch it week after week. Does that not bother you? Are you not truly uncomfortable with the sin in your life? Have you become callous? I mean, it's no big deal, really, because we're not under law. We're under grace. And we could be forgiven of anything, right? We can. But 
that's not what we're to do. Do you intercede for the lost? When you see the news on TV and you see people protesting against what us conservatives typically agree with, does it just burn you to your core? When you see people along the side of the road holding up that sign, we'll work for food, and you say, there's plenty of jobs available. When you see the homeless in the inner city, again, do you say, the Salvation Army provides a place for them to live? Or those who are entangled in drugs and alcohol, maybe pornography, prostitution, and you say, it was their choice. Does it not bother you? Do you only see the outside of people but not see the heart? Or maybe none of what I'm talking about even makes sense to you. It's not even on your radar screen. When you read these Beatitudes, they sound nice. But it doesn't really make sense, and it doesn't really need to make sense. Did you ever think maybe you might be missing heaven? You may have got it wrong. Or maybe you're starting to wonder, and you're asking yourself, gee, has anybody been mourning for my life, for my soul? And I can confidently say, yes, people have been. And maybe even right at this moment. I'm hoping I've presented enough here to help all of us understand my first comment when I said 22-year anniversary of a joyful tragedy. It was a grievous event, losing my mom to all of us, but we had no reason to mourn because a few years ago or a few years before, my wife and I had a talk with mom and dad both, and they both expressed that they had a moment where they accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. And I could see in mom's life from that time after that she truly was being sanctified. She truly changed to be a different person. So we knew that she was in heaven. No need to mourn. Grieve, yes, didn't have to mourn. And I hope the illustration of that time in the wilderness with those mournful sounds of the wild and how my dad's voice comforted me helps make sense to understanding that blessed are those who mourn. For they will be comforted. And I hope you can see God's hand in your life on how he moves and directs us. And that this comforting or this mourning might actually be something we wish to pray for, to be used by God in this special way 
and to accept the blessing as simply his confirmation in our life. stand with me this morning and let's just take a moment to respond to the message that Rocky shared today. Lord Jesus, we thank you. It says, blessed are those who mourn that happiness can be found when we find ourselves broken and bruised. It sounds so contradictory at times and I've been in that place and, and I remember walking through the doors church and, and hardly knowing a word of scripture but coming in like that broken and hurting feeling like I was at the end of my rope and the pastor sat me down and he showed me this specific verse blessed blessed are those who mourn that happiness can be found in brokenness Lord we thank you that you know, life isn't always comfortable, but we can always be comforted in you, despite any situation, any season, and, and we pray that you will open our eyes to see the brokenness of the world and that we would be broken by the people who are lost to addiction or are lost to poverty or just searching for happiness in all the wrong places. bring us comfort in those times when we fall short, when we sin, when we're at the end of our ropes. And comfort can be found there because you can be found there. Lord, let us just respond to this word today. Give you all the praise. are open this morning. Let's just take a moment and just respond with a song today. In the Gospel of John, John finishes this magnificent book that he wrote about Jesus' life, and he said that Jesus did and spoke many more things that are recorded here. So much so that perhaps all the books in the world could not contain it. As I studied these Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, this longest of Jesus' discourses, it seems evident to me that as long as I live, the more I read this, the more I will pull out of it. It's an amazing teaching. It's said that of all the scripture, perhaps these chapters of the Bible are the most well-known, the most preached on, even by those who are unbelievers. The worldly people, if they know anything about the Bible, are likely to know some of the verses that come from this teaching. And if you superficially read it, it sounds beautiful. But if you really understand what it means, it might not sound so beautiful if you're not a believer. 
as a believer, as you read through it, it may speak to you immediately as this is something that Jesus is teaching us as believers. But he's not teaching us what to do. He's showing us who we should be. And as a message, it seems like this is a message for believers. But I'm now thinking not. Because I believe this is a message to those who don't know the Lord. It may be very evident in your heart if you don't understand after what we've talked about, still don't understand what Jesus is trying to tell me here. Or it may be evident that I do understand what Jesus is telling me, but he's telling me to change some things in my life. I'm a believer, and maybe I have to change some things in my life. Let's bow our heads one more time. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to speak. And Lord, I ask that the words that I spoke were not my words, but yours. Like Pastor Bobby has said before, you can speak through the words of a man or you can speak in spite of the man's words. However I came across, I asked, Lord, that you, through your Holy Spirit, truly cuts to the heart. Lord, everyone in this room, as we began, ask you to fill this room with your Holy Spirit. And without a doubt, God, you have. Everyone in this room asked that you would speak to their heart. And I'm convinced, Lord, that you did. And everyone in this room asked that you would change our life forever. And that forever begins right now. Lord, I ask that you do that work in our hearts. Speak to each of us. Change us in whatever way we need to be changed to be conformed into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. And for anyone in here, if you do not know this Jesus Christ, or if these words do not make sense to you, but at this point, something is saying you want to know. That's God. That's the Holy Spirit drawing you to him. Because you can't come on your own. He draws us. He saves us. And he makes us new. If you've never come to the Lord before, if you've never made this decision, but right now you say, I want to know this Jesus. I want to change my life. Or perhaps at one time you made that decision, but for whatever reason the world has crept in and you've grown cold. And you say right now, Lord, I want to renew the fire in my heart and I want to come back to you today. 
Or perhaps you might say, I know I'm saved. I've made that decision. But there's something more in my life that I know you want to do. And today, Lord, I want you to start that work in my heart and renew me forever. If you are in any one of those categories, with every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around, if you could just slip a hand, I'm not going to call anyone up, I'm not going to embarrass you in any way, I just want to know if you're out there. If you are in any one of those categories, you've never known the Lord and you want to know Him, you've grown cold and you want to come back, or you want God to use you like never before, could you please just slip a hand up? Yes. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? I just wait a moment here because this is so important, especially if you have never come to the Lord before. Eternity is so long. Then for those who raise your hands and for those who perhaps have made that decision in their heart but just could not raise the hand, I understand totally. I want us all to repeat this prayer. This is what we call in this church a sinner's prayer. There's nothing magical or mystical about it. It's not written in the Bible. It's just a confession because the Lord says, confess with thy mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. And this is our way of confirming that everyone has that opportunity to speak it out loud. If you could just repeat after me this simple prayer. Dear Jesus, I thank you for dying on that cross for me. Thank you for dying on that cross for me. You lived a sinless life and were a perfect sacrifice. But you didn't remain dead. You didn't remain dead. You rose again. And you sit at God's right hand interceding for me today. You sit at God's right hand interceding for me. Today I come to you. Today I come to you. Confessing the sin in my life. Confessing the sin in my life. I acknowledge you as the Lord and Savior of my life. I acknowledge you as the Lord and Savior of my life. I ask you to cleanse me of that sin. Ask you to cleanse me of that sin. And begin the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. And transform me forever. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you all for being here. I praise God for the decisions that were made. And I want to end it by saying, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and grant you his peace. Go in the grace of God. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegatewaygh.com.